broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Episode 844 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, and indeed, the scholarly, Brittany Page. So I'm going to try desperately to keep things together here, but we're having a rough time in, the, in many different ways. It is a multifaceted fuck show right now. It is n- <laughs> not great. Not great. So let's go through let's go through the list of what's going on. Okay, we we moved and we moved on the cheap. And what that means is we did it all ourselves, basically. Well, all but the heavy stuff. All but the heaviest items, but still, I mean, we moved uh, a queen mattress ourselves, we moved our bed ourselves, we moved I mean, when you th- when you think about like the heaviest stuff, Yes, in terms of like these bulky furniture things that just would have been an absolute nightmare. But still, we moved a lot of heavy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially when when accumulated together. And especially when you're physically weak, like I am. Okay. Oh, I thought you were talking about me. And because of the cans. Oh, right. And <laughs> I'm currently fighting off what oh, I feel yeah. like is imminent torticollis, which I had a few years ago, which is like a stiff neck that babies get. Babies I- get imagine, this. if you will, Brittany in a Batman suit. You know how Batman <laughs> like can't turn his neck; he has to move his whole body. Yeah, that's Brittany Page right now, without. The Batman suit. Yeah. So I'm currently trying to, I'm doing like little neck exercises to try to fight off this torticolis. There is a lot of shit show things going on. Because I thought you were just talking about the the general disarray of the situation from which we're recording right now. That's what I thought you were going to talk about. That's not completely set up. We're still in the middle of setting up the studio because we had to move everything and we did it ourselves. We're still in the middle of trying to get everything set up. The, the podcast studio is just a, an echoey box right now. Yeah, so please forgive us for that. We we are not done. I mean, everything is still in boxes. Everything's leaning against the wall. Everything is... And we've been working sun up to sundown. Yeah. It's been constant. So I'm in physical pain. <laughs> and, You're exhausted. And Sweepy is currently bleeding yes a lot of blood yeah all the time from her period don't get alarmed she's okay this is supposed (laughs) to be happening but she finally she finally went into heat we've been waiting for this to happen and waiting for this to happen so we can get her fixed yeah and people have asked about that too like are you getting her fixed yes it's just that the vet said in order for her to develop appropriately and ensure that she's healthy, she needs to go through one full heat cycle. And then three months after that heat cycle ends is when we get her fixed. It has something to do with like a, a, a diminished chance of um, cancer or something even, I think. She did talk about that. Yeah. So 
I it's been okay behaviorally. Sweepy has been very cuddly, <laughs> very loving. She's very tired. She's puked a few times, which I was worried about, but they said is normal. And she's bleeding a lot. I'm very yeah. surprised. Well, she's currently sporting a real cool doggy diaper. <laughs> and it keeps falling down. Well, it's hilarious because it's got a spot for a tail. Yeah. And she was born without a tail or it's like a little nub. It's yeah. not a tail. <laughs> yeah. It would be nice if she had a tail. It would probably help it stay Stay up. on, yeah. But that's that's not happening, so... The blood is sometimes ending up where it's not supposed to be, but that's okay. I'm honestly surprised. I mean, I don't know. I guess I just never really thought about dog periods, so I didn't really know what to expect. Yeah. But it is a full-on period situation. Yeah. A lot of blood. A lot of swollen parts. <laughs> it is... It is... Uh, if I was a more... Um, pious individual or, mm. or prude individual mm, yes uh i would be very offended by <laughs> the anatomy that is seemingly really ready for business you feel like it's obscene yeah. you're worried when we go out in public yeah it's it's not great and we're keeping her away from other dogs because well that's what you're supposed to do and she sees dogs and she is I think more alert, more invested in wanting to go over and greet dogs. So we are keeping her away. Don't want to have to get her a doggy morning after pill or something like that. <laughs> right. Right. I don't know if those exist. I don't know why they wouldn't. I don't know why they wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for joining us. Uh, big show today. A lot going on. It is. <laughs> the one thing about doing what we do is. The the fuckery from Republicans and uh, the nonsense never stops. So whether we have a good studio set up or not, there's still shit to talk about and there's still shit to analyze and commentate upon. Mm. Uh, this week has been no different. But first, before we get to some of the headlines, some of the, the bullshit happening, let's get to some listener communication. Ashley from Texas. Hey, Brittany. Hey, Jesse. It's Ashley from Texas. I'm listening to your episode. Um, we were talking about homelessness and just the immense amount of, um, I guess, unfavorable feelings in this country toward homeless people and homelessness. I wanted to call and just be really honest. Um, that, I mean, I, I feel like I've got some subconscious bias here. And some of it, hear me out, is a little bit rooted in fear. <clears throat> and it's incorrect, but I have this deep-rooted, I guess, as a female, you are, you're fearful of um, people that might walk up to you in a strange place or people that you may come across or happen upon. Like, this is something that's instilled in you from when you're really little. Like, does that play into it at all? Because I agreeably, I mean, I agree with you. I, I would consider myself very progressive, very to the left, but I don't volunteer my time or give my money. Um, that is not a thing I currently do um, for the world, for the betterment of society. Could I? Sure. Is that what I, are there a million other causes too? Yes, but this is not one that I've personally chosen to prioritize, and it's one that's probably in my little corner of something that I'm, Maybe we call it shame, like maybe I'm ashamed that I have this bias that exists. I, I don't know. 
but I guess what I would, I guess the point I'm trying to drive at is that maybe it's, maybe the problem is more around really uncovering and figuring out why do we as a society have those feelings and how do we course correct that? Because I, like, my, my brain brain knows, um, and is, is getting educated and getting informed by, by you and others talking about housing first, but the emotional part of me still isn't walking the walk and giving the money or volunteering the time or doing anything um, concrete. So anyway, just thought I'd share um, at least what thoughts it brought to me. But anyway, y'all are the best part. Both of you love you. Bye. Well, that is awesome, Ashley. Thank you for that call. Two things that come to mind there. The first thing is Ashley says that that she hasn't been mobilized to volunteer her time or give money to homeless causes. And I think in the conversations that we're having, the baseline that we're really kind of asking for based on the conversations we've had and based on the reactions to the conversations that we, we've been having on this issue the baseline, I think, is is just strengthening the sense of empathy and compassion that people have for those that are living in the midst of struggle, those that are living in poverty, people who are poor. I think that before we even jump to spending money on causes, volunteering our time, we need to work on strengthening our, our empathy and compassion. Now, listen, if you're already there, your empathy and compassion is solid, then you're ready to jump in and start volunteering your time, donating money, doing more. But I think for a lot of people that we've heard from and, and a lot of people we haven't, that maybe that's a good, a good starting place. Also, Ashley talked about a deep-rooted fear as a female of people approaching. I totally understand that. I, I, I also have those concerns. I tend to be someone who is hypervigilant because of past experiences when I'm out in public. So I I hear you on that. For me, that fear or concern that I have doesn't outweigh the compassion that I feel for people. Well, it's not even replaced. You can still navigate the world with those fears, but you're just analyzing a situation like, oh, yeah, this maybe is too dangerous for me to do whatever, and this one doesn't seem as dangerous. Those dangers still, they're just, I don't believe, more present if you're dealing with someone who's homeless. You could be knocked into traffic by some asshole by someone who's not homeless. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there's a larger or a greater chance of harm or danger from a homeless person. Right, I, exactly. And when I when a cop pulls behind me in, yeah, in a car, exactly. I have far more fear than <laughs> when I'm walking by someone who's unhoused in DC. And maybe that's because I'm desensitized living in the city. I mean, you hear Fox News talk about how Washington DC is what were they calling it? Like Somalia, like a third world country. Yeah, and <laughs> And when you say Fox News, you mean that dumb fuck Jesse Waters and Greg Gutfeld. Yeah, I mean I I just I don't know what they're talking about. I mean, I've lived here for a year. We just moved. I I hesitate to get into details about neighborhoods that we used to live in, and I'm definitely not going to talk about <laughs> anything current, but I we didn't live in Georgetown. And I think we could say we lived in Columbia Heights. It's right in the center of DC, about 2 miles north of the White House, and it's um it's a great fucking neighborhood. It was a great neighborhood, but also when I talk to people who live in D.C. and they would say, where do you live? And I would say Columbia Heights, a reaction that I would commonly get is, 
oh, wow, you're really in the thick of it. Yeah, you, you really live in D.C. <laughs> yeah. And we had zero problems. I mean, and again, I will repeat some of the experiences we did have. There were times where I would be in the front yard with Sweepy and I would see someone using a substance on the steps of my next door neighbor's home, like yeah. right next to where I was. And in those situations, I wasn't like, I'm going to call the police we need to do something about this. Yeah. I was like, oh shit, do I need to get my Narcan? Like I was watching them. At, at one point she slumped over. It was a few seconds before she got back up, stood up, started walking. So like in the moment, I'm not thinking I need to call the police. We need to do something about this. Uh, not in my neighbor's front yard. Yeah, I'm like, oh shit, do I need to intervene here? And and that's what I kind of wish people would would develop. That sense of, I don't know, not combative with someone who's really struggling now is it ideal that someone is using on the steps of my neighbor's house of course not no but are the cops going to be a solution to that no no. so (laughs) we're kind of in a in a tough situation until this country decides to have robust intervention and and funding at a federal level for these services and programs that will get people into treatment, into housing, and what they need. Yeah, I mean, this issue is much like income inequality or um, the environmental activism. It's not up to us individually. Individually, we're not going to be able to solve the problems, but it's through policy and government intervention through policy that something larger can take place and be done. Right. That doesn't mean you shouldn't give to charitable organizations because we don't have the infrastructure in place nationally, federally, governmentally, to to get done what needs to be done. Right. I would say um, that we should all aspire to be more like Ashley. It's a fucking great call mm-hmm. because she's demonstrating a willingness and eagerness to grapple with her own perceived biases. Yes. Like, oh, is this just like an inborn thing? Like, I've just been trained this way of thinking this? And she's grappling with that. this This is a case, this is a model case for what we talk about all the time about changing our minds, and this is how you do that. Introspection. Yeah, it's it's... Like when we've both taken the implicit bias test mm-hmm. where I, I don't want to spoil the test, but it it outlines whether you have a um, an implicit racial bias. You show none and I show a high racial bias, which I don't feel like I have that. But, you know, the test says it. I'm I, I must. But so what I've done because of that is I really think, why am I thinking this way? Is it because of that implicit bias that I must have, or is this a legitimate thing? Mm -hmm. We've talked about it with bartenders and a specific bartender who ended up being someone we really fucking liked. Mm -hmm. But when we met her, she turned both of us off or we were both turned off by her. Mm -hmm. And then we analyzed, why is it we don't like her? And it's because she was a fucking boss. Mm -hmm. And we were, it was just programmatic in us to... Like, oh, there's something wrong with her. Yeah, hey, little lady, back off. Yeah, it was like a weird misogyny thing that we both independently felt, yes. and we grappled with it right. and realized we were the ones who were fucking wrong, mm-hmm. and she ended up being somebody we re- we really, really liked. Right. 
Yeah. So anyway, Ashley, what I'm saying is here, um, <laughs> you're pretty great. And everybody <laughs> should be more like Ashley. Absolutely. Well, and Ashley kind of answered a question that the that the next caller is going to ask of me and the audience and Jesse, of course. So, nah. <laughs> uh, so kind of getting out in front of the next call, Ashley, predicting what the next question is going to be. Hi, Brittany and Jesse. It's Noah from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I was just listening to your latest episode and had just finished the segment about the fuckwad spraying the unhoused woman with a hose as though she were an animal. And I just kind of wanted to echo the sentiment that Brittany had mentioned and that Jesse agreed with about a lot of leftists lacking empathy towards the unhoused in our country and kind of the disdain they have for any reasonable housing for solutions and I don't necessarily expect you guys to have the answers for what I'm about to say but more so I guess just what you think might be driving this from a psychological perspective Brittany um what do you think is motivating the uh, oppos- the strong opposition towards housing first policies from people specifically on the left. Um, it seems that even though a lot of leftists can empathize with the unhoused and don't necessarily have the same visceral contempt for them as those on the right, they still seem adamantly opposed to the idea of actually providing unhoused individuals with homes. I don't know if it's, I mean, I understand at the base of it is, you know, people don't like having things taken away from them or feeling as though things are being taken away from them. They don't like the idea that somebody's going to be getting a house and they're not getting a house, da-da-da-da-da. And it's a lot of selfishness, but I've just always found it so perplexing that people can not want to see homeless people on the streets because they're either viscerally disgusted or they're disgusted as uh, by the reflection it shows of our society. Um, but yet, despite not wanting to see them, they don't want to give them houses. It, it just baffles me as to why, how you can hold both at the same time and still think that you have a noble cause or you're fighting a noble cause in disliking or um, thinking that we have a homelessness problem. Like, what's the point of saying that if you seemingly have no real idea of a solution for the problem? Is it just something, like, do they really just want to put them in a field in the Midwest where they don't have to see them? I just don't understand. Um, but I, I just want to echo the, at the end of the day, I just want to echo your, get your guys' sentiment about how disgusting it is that even people on the left don't seem to have any empathy for the unhomeless in our country. So I talked about Ashley kind of answering this question in one way, bringing up one of the factors that could be at play to explain this in response to Noah's question there. And bias could certainly be one way to explain why people have this opposition to intervening in a compassionate way, or just even in an evidence-based way that would resolve the problem. Um, I think there's probably many other factors, some that I am probably not even aware of. I think one of them could be 
you know, we talk a lot about the just world hypothesis on the show. That is the the belief that the world is just and that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Now, people who believe the just world hypothesis tend to be more religious, more conservative. This is typically not something that you see from people on the left, according to the research. But you know, maybe that's maybe that's something that we're seeing is that people in order to explain the circumstances of the unhoused is to say, well, listen, they might they must have done something. Yeah, I think I, I mean, I don't disagree with that, but, but I think that, that there's probably a number of different reasons. And another one could be that we as as a species tend to really um, give an outsized weight of importance to anecdotal evidence to our own experience and so if we have a few experiences that are negative surrounding someone who's homeless we generalize that personal one or two experiences to the entire population of unhoused individuals in the fucking country Mm -hmm. and then we run with that for the rest of our life and it just gets seared into our psyche as the way that things are and that's that's just it's a stupid way to behave. I mean, I understand that it's it's evolutionarily in us that oh, uh, uh, if I touched fire and it burnt, well, ah, don't do that again. And if you have a few instances of something that happens negative with a homeless person, you're like, oh, that's danger, danger. You know, I, I get it, but we we've got to be uh, less of lower thinkers and more of higher thinkers and. And get out of that rut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it could also be like a scarcity mindset and, and scarcity pits people against each other feeling like they're afraid they need to get what they can before someone else takes it from them. And maybe because of the situation that we're in in this country where we don't have a government that takes care of its people, that people are just kind of living from that scarcity mindset and unable to have the compassion that they should for those who are in a lesser position yeah i agree with noah though that it is irritating Uh, yeah it's fucking irritating that there are people who consider themselves progressives or even leftists who who take terrible shitty takes about homelessness Uh, let's take uh the young turks for example i mean jank uger voted for a motherfucking republican for mayor of los angeles because oh there's homeless people what are we gonna do Anna Kasparian apparently had a personal uh, traumatic experience with someone who was homeless, and it has sent them off on a crusade of irrationality about how to deal with homelessness, so much so that they supported a fucking Republican billionaire for mayor of Los Angeles. Luckily, Caruso lost, but... uh, not great. And I, it's, it, it's, it, it's inexplicable. I, I don't get it. Yeah. And we, we've talked a lot about that. I mean, it, it takes work to check your personal experience at the door because sometimes your personal experience can actually interfere with your ability to understand other people's experiences, even by the way, if you've had similar experiences, because two people can have the same experience and come away from that with completely two different sure. perspectives. Well, for instance, the, the woman smoking drugs on the next door neighbor's stoop Mm -hmm. someone the neighbor on the other side of us Mm -hmm. mr trump supporter Mm -hmm. i'm sure he would have been outraged what are we going to do about this Mm -hmm. and you didn't have that experience well and i used or reaction i used to 
have the experience where if I saw someone like we, we had this experience years ago of a man who was very inebriated oh, and yeah, yeah. puking on himself walking walking down the street. And I said, oh, my God, we need to help him. We should call the police. And you were like, what? <laughs> yeah. This was years and years pre-podcast. But that's because of my personal experience growing up in a household with domestic violence and when the cops would be called they would take my dad out in handcuffs two pairs of handcuffs because his arms couldn't fit behind his back and they they saved the day for my family right I felt safer because they removed him the violence stopped when the cops came yes and so I had a positive association with the police that I then had to think through like oh huh I've had a positive association with the police why have I I had a positive association with the police. And interesting, that's not everyone else's experience. And in fact, maybe it's not a great guide for how I should think of the police. Maybe I should turn to research and stats on how the police actually abuse their power most of the time. (laughs) And that's a better indicator. Going back to Noah's call, I just want to say as a follow-up that the gallery owner actually was charged with misdemeanor battery because this bystander took a video and there was actual uh, public outrage over it. And so so the gallery owner was charged. And evidence of the crime. Yes. Yeah. So that's great news. Great news. M- more, more more reason to break out your phone. You know, and if, if nothing comes of it and nothing happens, then you fucking delete the video or whatever. But uh, I don't think it's, um, it's a, a, a Karen element in someone to, to whip out their phone and want to Make sure someone else is taken care of. No, absolutely. So, Ashley, Noah, great calls. Uh, I really appreciate continuing this conversation. I think it's important and more like it need to be had, maybe in the privacy of your own homes at dinner parties. Do people have fucking dinner parties? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, or, or cocktail hours or fancy parties. Anyway, we'd love for you to take part in the conversation, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. All right, moving on. The whole power structure's coming down. Number one show in the world right now. I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. Please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We'd like to thank our new Patreon supporters, Steve D. Steve D. Steve D, by the way, longtime listener, uh, supporter of the show, helps with the reddit page so oh yeah this steve d the reddit page doesn't get a lot of action so if you care about reddit or you like to be on reddit if you're a reddit nerd yeah then you should go check out the page it is and it's just um dollamore just r slash dollamore reddit.com slash r slash dollamore i think is (laughs) what it is all right back to the additional new patreon supporters thank you steve d brian s brian s barbara h barbara h nicole b nicole b and kevin w kevin w now kevin w is technically not new another long-term supporter of the show but kevin emailed us and let us know that patreon was giving him some trouble with switching his card or something happening there but 
you know what, Kevin? You still get a shout out because it sounds like you went through hell with Patreon to <laughs> re-add your pledge. So you get a shout out. Thank you so much for your support. We are having the Hangouts come back. Don't forget this Saturday, the 28th at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Please check your email inbox if you are a Patreon supporter or your Patreon messages if you are in the appropriate tier in order to receive your Zoom link that you will then click to join the Zoom Hangout. Used to be a Google Hangout, now it's a Zoom Hangout, and we are super excited to start those again after the cancer experience that Jesse had and after the holidays. We are very excited to see your faces, so be on the lookout for that. We love you guys. We appreciate you very much. Uh, moving on as we always do. Stalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So George Santos just, uh. just will not stop. Life is a fucking nightmare. <laughs> Will not stop. I mean, did you hear this? We didn't talk about this on the show, I think, but he, a podcast interview that he did resurfaced where he talked about being like a star volleyball player in college. He had two knee replacements at Baruch College. He was on scholarship at Baruch College to play volleyball. Oh my God. Easily verify. It's, I know liars like this and I don't understand the... Like, is there like an endorphin rush while you're telling the lie and you so much so that you ignore what will likely be almost certainly be consequences from the lie of people finding out that you're just a a fucking liar? Yeah, I mean, it's wild that he feels comfortable, but he's he's getting brazen in his interactions with reporters for the first few days he was running and hiding. And now, as you'll hear there, he's just becoming he's just terrible in every way. A George Santos sighting in the nation's capital. The surprise he left for journalists. (laughs) (laughs) A George Santos sighting in the nation's capital. Here we go. Right in front of his office. Good evening once again. I'm Maurice Dubois. Welcome back. I'm Christine Johnson. More claims from Congressman George Santos. In an interview with the Brazilian podcast back in 2021, he said that he was the victim of a mugging on Fifth Avenue. Santos also said he was the target of an assassination attempt. Meantime, his voters are trying new tactics to get rid of him. CBS 2's Carolyn Gussoff tonight with the latest. George Santos teased he had a surprise for staked out journalists. It was coffee and donuts. For all the hard work you guys do. Thank you so much for being here and doing your job. As for his job, he's still doing it as if nothing's wrong. Co-sponsoring six bills so far, including a ban on fetal tissue research and TikTok on college campuses. His plans? Legislate. That's what I got hired to do. We didn't elect him. We elected this person that he that he created the plans of voters in his district turning up pressure to expel him in this open letter to speaker mccarthy they write we're not going to sit by and let you take away our constitutional right to representation they're now asking voters nationwide to reach out to their members of congress what speaker mccarthy hears from all of his representatives in the house from people all all over the country who are outraged then maybe it will push him to act pressure may be the best tactics 
says this election attorney working with District 3 voters. The speaker does need Santos's vote, but at a certain point, the speaker will be sufficiently embarrassed but to expel him. Experts say don't hold your breath for a quick Federal Election Commission investigation, even though dozens of Santos's campaign expenses fall oddly one cent below the threshold for a receipt. They have a history of taking quite a long time. Um, so, you know, you have a, a civil investigation that could drag on, you know, potentially for years. Complete embarrassment. Everything he's said and done has been based upon a lie. Freshman Congressman Nick Lalota of Suffolk County offers to take the lead in helping the FEC freeze Santos campaign funds to return to duped donors. Those financial victims of his crimes and his lies need to stand the chance to be made whole. And here's a look at the opposition research by Democrats of then-candidate Santos. They flagged evictions, his alleged animal nonprofit not registered, but never challenged basic claims of a college education, which NYU says is freely available. Will you cooperate with that? And while ethics complaints have been filed in Congress, there is no time frame on how long that investigation could take. On Long Island, Carolyn Gossoff, CBS 2 News. Santos today tweeted he was saddened by language used against him when a GOP Louisiana senator called him nutty as a fruitcake <laughs> and compared Santos to a character in the movie Fatal Attraction. <laughs> this was my favorite clip. I love, I love when they... He's reporting it straight, but when a, a GOP congressman <laughs> called him nutty as a fruitcake. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so they kind of brushed over the more serious aspect of this, which is the updated reports that he his campaign has filed. And yeah. in total, George Santos has filed 10 amended reports with the FEC, stretching back to early 2021. And apparently his campaign has a history of filing multiple amendments to their original filings. And experts have, have said that this is like the sloppiest bookkeeping of any candidate they've ever seen. A representative from Crew, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics, said that they have no idea what's going on with these loans that he claimed originally that he gave to his campaign that they were personal loans now on this updated filing he's indicating that a loan of $500,000 and a loan of $125,000 were not personal funds because that box was unmarked so this is the concerning element is he claimed he has all this money he invested it into his campaign and now Apparently not. So the answer is, how did he get the money? And I mean, did he steal it or did someone nefarious or influential give it to him? And who is that fucking person? Mm -hmm. This is just yet another reason for transparency in politics. Uh, His his campaign, his campaign finance forms where they their disclosures where he files for his receipts and stuff. Any receipt or any any expense under two hundred dollars doesn't need an accompanying receipt so he's got dozens and dozens and dozens of charges that are exactly 199 dollars and 99 cents right which is he's allegedly it is an alleged (laughs) attempt here as i find the as i find the marker allegedly money laundering that would be laundering money through his campaign and then saying there it was an actual expense, but using the money for something else. 
And it's unfortunately because of the pace of justice in our country. I mean, we're all entitled under the Constitution to a speedy trial and, and speedy justice, but two years it would take. It's why I said that people need to adjust to calibrate their expectations here, that he's likely going to finish his term unless he's removed by the House itself. And that's just not going to happen because they have a Democratic governor in New York. Well, and it seems like he knows that based on how he's acting, yeah. giving the donuts and the coffee to the reporters and saying, thanks so much for doing your job, guys. Yeah, I mean... It, when they showed him that first day and he was frantic and he was alone and isolated on the house floor, I caught myself feeling like bad for him. Like, Ugh, I hope this guy doesn't like kill himself or something because he's so isolated. But, you know, the, the, the absolutely shameless, dignity-free experience of being a Republican, they've kind of rallied around him. Yeah. Kevin McCarthy has said with his fucking mouth, oh, no, hey, well, you're innocent and Trump proven guilty. He's not going anywhere. I've, I, in fact, I'm going to put him on committees. <laughs> it's, oh. I mean, listen, I know where we would come down if this was a Democrat. Oh, yeah. We would be saying, this motherfucker needs to go right now. <laughs> and uh, it, just not the case with Republicans. They, they don't care. Mm-hmm. It's all about the power. And yeah. more and more about the grift so maybe there's some admiration here from other republicans that man this guy's really he's really creative he's doing it good well at least he's (laughs) focused on the important stuff voting on a ban on tiktok and fetal tissue really really getting it done going after that tiktok yeah okay so we have some unfortunate and uh, difficult news to talk about with a a video of a police killing a man in memphis tyree nichols and the body camera footage has not been released it's strange in the media right now they're talking about the impending release of it any day any day why don't we have a i mean i I know the question right now is unanswerable but why why haven't they just announced the day they're gonna release it Mm -hmm. and do it it's like oh anytime who knows maybe it will maybe it won't And the city of Memphis right now, and actually cities all across the country are bracing for what will be inevitable unrest in the streets based on what we've heard from the family who has seen the tape about the gruesome nature of the killing. Now to an update on the death of a 29-year-old black man in Memphis. His name was Tyree Nichols. His family says body cam video of a confrontation with police officers shows that the officers beat him for three minutes. Nichols was arrested earlier this month after a traffic stop, and this photo was taken in the hospital afterward. He died just days later. The Memphis Police Department says it fired five officers involved in the arrest for using excessive force and failing to render aid. Now, all five of the officers are black. Elise Preston is in Memphis, where she spoke with the Nichols family. All I heard my son say was, what did I do? And I just lost it from there. Tyree Nichols' mother, Ravon Wells, told us she could only watch some of the body camera video allegedly showing police beating her son. I am so numb and I'm just trying to wrap my head around all of this. His family says Nichols was restrained, beaten, tased and pepper sprayed by several Memphis police officers, while other officers stood by and did nothing to help. I saw police brutality at its finest. I saw a helpless young black man being beat by 
several officers. Memphis police pulled Tyree Nichols over on January 7th for reckless driving. They said when they approached him, there was a confrontation and he ran away. Police said when they caught up to him and tried to arrest him, there was a second confrontation. They said Nichols complained of shortness of breath and was taken to the hospital. That's where his father took this photo. It shows Nichols bloodied and bruised. Fucking liars. He died days later. After seeing the body camera video, attorneys for the Nichols family compared it to the 1991 beating of Rodney King by Los Angeles police. He was defenseless the entire time. He was a human pinata for those police officers. It was an unadulterated, unabashed, nonstop beating of this young boy for three minutes. Oh, my God. The Nichols family is calling on the officers involved to face charges. For them to beat my child the way they did? I mean, where's the humanity? You just beat him like a dog in the street. That's heartbreaking. Very heartbreaking. Now, the Department of Justice has launched a civil rights investigation. The district attorney says video will be released to the public in the next two weeks once federal and state investigations are concluded. Tony? It is a remarkable thing to me what fucking liars cops oftentimes are. That he was brought to the hospital with shortness of breath. And then when you see the photos of him, He is just beaten beyond recognition that five cops or up to five cops beat him unmercifully for multiple minutes. Imagine being beaten by multiple individuals for 30 seconds. Now multiply that by six for over three minutes They beat him nonstop. Grown men. And yeah, they do share the characteristic that they're all black, these cops. But the more important characteristic that they share is that they're cops. That they have power over another citizen. The power to usurp constitutional rights. To detain, to arrest, and apparently to murder. Well, and again, this, according to the police, the confrontation, that's the word they used twice, the confrontation resulted the first time in Tyree running. Yeah. And they chased him. I wonder why he would run. And caught him. I wonder. Weird. I mean, was he worried he might be murdered? Right. And how often do we have to hear this where the suspect was running? Okay. And? Yeah. I don't know. You, You pulled someone over for reckless driving. You still have their car. There seems like other ways to figure this out than chasing someone, beating them, than shooting them in the back. Whatever whatever these cops do with these various stories of someone running away, there has to be other interventions than chasing someone down. I, I just, for reckless driving, I don't... And then engaging in gang violence against him yes, and killing him. Yes, I mean, so the video is going to be released. They are trying to prep the public for the video to be released. It's a full court press on the part of Memphis PD. The chief is out there giving statements, 
urging calm, ur- saying we want to see you exercise your First Amendment rights, but please, we need to we need to do it respectfully and. Well, when you have the chief of police calling this death heinous, reckless, and inhumane. Yeah. When you have a chief of police saying that, you know that this is going to be a bad situation. When they already fired the cops, you know it's going to be fucking terrible. Right. So, I mean, we're horrified. We're outraged. We're disgusted. I mean, it has been heartbreaking watching the news coverage. It has been heartbreaking watching the family of Tyree Nichols. And it just, I, I don't know. Yeah. We'd love to know what you think. Six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Right, there's just one more kind of difficult story that we have to talk about before we can start having fun with some of the ridiculous Republican stories this week. And that is the shootings in California, the mass shootings in California. How crazy. Yeah. Wild. Um, it was, it, I think, over two days. Like yeah. A span of 44 hours and 19 people were killed, I believe. And it happened in Monterey Park. And then there was also a shooting in Half Moon Bay. Southern and Northern California. And and I, I think when you hear about these shootings, sometimes you'll hear Republicans talk about, well, it, this happened in California. You guys want your gun control, right? But look at California. California is yeah. a liberal state. It's a blue state. And, and conservatives will try to make arguments that see this is proof that gun control actually doesn't prevent these mass shootings from happening. And so PBS interviewed a professor at the UCLA School of Law named Adam Winkler, and he talked about constitutional law and gun policy and focused a lot on this specific question of gun safety laws and whether they actually impact the frequency of mass shootings. California has some of the strictest gun control laws in the country. Studies show that those laws are effective but they are apparently not enough in a country where gun ownership is considered a constitutional right. Well, it is true that California's gun laws do work. We have uh, the lowest uh, firearms mortality rate uh, in the nation in California, uh, far lower than the national average. Uh, However, we should recognize that California has restrictive gun laws only compared to other American states. Compared to the Western industrialized world, for instance, California has some of the loosest and most permissive laws in the world. So California's gun laws uh, do try to reduce gun violence, but it's still very easy for pretty much anyone to get their hands on a firearm in California. What are some of the biggest concerns about those gun safety laws, especially when you consider that the Supreme Court has made it harder to defend gun safety laws against a Second Amendment challenge. Well, I think one of the things that's most concerning for California lawmakers is whether the gun laws they pass, either today or the ones they passed in the past, are actually going to be constitutionally permissible. The Supreme Court uh, this past June strengthened Second Amendment protections, has made it much harder for states to defend gun laws. And many of California's most aggressive efforts to regulate guns and provide for gun safety reform uh, are likely to be called into question in the courts in the coming years. 
In this California case, the gunman was identified as a 72-year-old man, making him an outlier in terms of age. How does that change our understanding of the threat? Well, I think it highlights the exceptional nature of this particular case. Um, Gun violence is traditionally a young man's game. And I use both young and man very purposefully uh, because it's usually men and it's usually young men who engage in gun violence. Uh, Part of the brain is not really fully developed uh, until about the age of 30. And uh, it's hard for younger men to necessarily control their impulses and engage in the kinds of cost-benefit analysis that uh, violence usually discourages. But when we have a society that has decided to become heavily armed, like American society, even in California. Uh, It provides anyone of any age with the means to do incredible violence to other people. It was a remarkable couple of days watching the coverage of this because it's another thing that conservatives will poo-poo is when you say, oh, yeah, this is likely a white dude. And they're, oh, you're jumping to conclusions. No, not really. We're we're really just going on the history and the, the data that it's typically especially in a mass shooting, not just talking about gun violence in general, but a mass shooting type of calculation that you do, it's almost always a white male. Mm-hmm. And like like the professor said, a young white male. And this was such a weird thing because both of these dudes were older, one elderly uh, Asian men. Right. Well, and I thought it was interesting hearing uh, Adam Winkler, the professor there, talking about how California's laws actually do work, that there's the lowest firearm firearm mortality rate in the country, but but <laughs> they only have strong gun policy compared to other American states. And he talked about how someone living in California can go to Nevada or Arizona right. and then bring a gun back into California. So you can have a state that has, has strengthened their gun laws, but they're going to come up against the limitations with the Constitution or the lack that there's no federal intervention. Yeah. And similar to our conversations on homelessness, we come back around to that on gun policy, where unless there's strong federal intervention here, it, it's tough when you talk about the different states and the different laws within those states. So I think when conservatives talk about, oh, look, it happened in liberal California where they have strong gun policy, see liberals, it won't do any good. It's obviously not a good argument for many reasons, but also because, well, we can't we can't do a whole lot when someone can just head into Arizona and come back into California with their gun. Well, also the fact that it is... It is accepting that which is unacceptable because we've had far more mass shootings this year than there are days in this year. It is well into the 30s, maybe 40s now, and we're only on the 26th day of the year. It's Mm -hmm. untenable. It, it, It just we've just become numb to it. This is just a way of life for America that I think the rest of the world looks at us absolutely perplexed as how in the fuck did they do that? Mm-hmm. Well, and there was a tweet that I saw where someone who was in the mass shooting in California, one of them, and survived, was in the hospital, told 
Governor Gavin Newsom of California that they wanted to get out of the hospital because they couldn't afford the medical bills. Yeah, another element. And what what an American tweet that is that you are in a mass shooting or a victim in a mass shooting and then you are afraid to be in the hospital for a lengthy period of time because you can't afford it. California is actually a state that has a program that provides grants for people who apply that are victims of mass shootings that will provide, I think, up to like $70,000 to cover your medical expenses. Think of that. They had to create a program right. to give grants to people who are victims of mass shootings because they can't afford their medical bills. I mean, what what's going on here? Insane. So with all these serious things happening, Republicans have been focused on these serious things, you guys. They're really passionate about <laughs> <laughs> No, what they've been worried about is in the state of Florida, Ron DeSantis has taken action on an AP African American history class that he says goes over the line. I mean, this is not something that we can have in our schools. This is not appropriate. And he gave a statement defending his action of of removing this class. What are one of what's one of the lessons about? queer theory. Now, who would say that an important part of black history is queer theory? That is somebody pushing an agenda on our kids. And so when you look to see they have stuff about intersectionality, abolishing prisons, that's a political agenda. And so we're on that's the wrong side of the line for Florida standards. Of course, he's the one that you want to turn to for deciding what should be in and out of a, a high school class about African-American history. Not only that, the language they use surrounding this is stark because this is illegal in Florida. Mm-hmm. They've deemed this class illegal. It is against the law to teach African-American history. Mm-hmm. And it's all based on not wanting some white kid to feel bad or guilty as though they're guilty for what took place in in the past. It it is a history class. Right. I I mean, look, this is a harbinger of things to come. This is going to get more prominent and more prevalent across the country because Ron DeSantis is the He's the, 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 the standard bearer. He's the, he's the example that is setting, being set for governors all across the country. Right. Well, and you made an important point, Jesse, when you talked about the new education law. It is based on a law, and it specifically requires lessons on race to be taught in, are you ready for this? In objective manner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> From the perspective of Ron DeSantis. And it, it cannot be used to, quote, indoctrinate or persuade students to a particular point of view. And of course, this is not. You mean facts? It's fucking history. There's a certain point of view. Absolutely. How things went down. And facts are going to persuade. That's, I mean, come on. It, it's not indoctrination. What is indoctrination is picking certain topics that they don't want people to learn because it's inconvenient for their worldview and may uh, create like people who aren't Republicans. <laughs> That's what they're afraid of. Well, this is the reason that it's so important is because there's all kinds of shit I didn't know growing up because I wasn't taught it relative to black history. Oh, absolutely. I had no fucking idea about... Um, Redlining, mm-hmm. generations of redlining in this country where black people were legally prohibited. They're legally prohibited from buying homes because they couldn't get insured. Like it was 
a, a, a pernicious plot by the system to box black families in America out of the intergenerational transfer of wealth. Right. I had, until I was an adult, no idea about uh, uh, Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. No fucking idea about that. In fact, I know people who watch that HBO show, Watchmen or whatever the name of it was, where it opens with that scene in um, in Tulsa, and people were like, oh, that, that was a thing that really happened. And I, by that time, I'd known about it. Mm -hmm. But it is, this is the reason it's so important to teach these things, because... The attitude that, well, they got black colleges, they got black entertainment television, why can't we have white magazines? And what those idiots never were taught any of the things about black history that could possibly um, intervene in their, their, their bigoted attitudes about the, the stupid things that they think are gotchas. I don't know. It's. Very frustrating that we're making no ground in this particular arena. Yeah, well, and things are actually getting worse right. in Florida because yeah. uh, a new bill going into effect that is going to prohibit material unless it is deemed appropriate by a librarian or a, quote, certified media specialist is causing teachers to... Certified by whom? Right. Ron DeSantis. Right, is causing teachers to be afraid of possibly violating these guidelines to the point where they are removing books from their classrooms or covering them up because they don't want to face felony charges. Books are being pulled from classrooms in Duval County as officials take steps to comply with new Florida laws on library books. Duval Public Schools says teachers found with non-approved books could face a third-degree felony, which includes fines and even jail time. On your side, Satia Collins is joining us from the newsroom. And Atia, I know you spoke with parents and teachers about all of this. Yes, one teacher told me he watched his colleagues hold back tears as they had to remove books from the classroom. He says that many teachers are being extra careful removing anything that could be a violation out of fear of the legal consequences. Teachers have come to me in tears. Teachers have said that um, their hearts are breaking because they've had to cover up their books or remove their books, but they don't want to get arrested or they don't want to have their principals arrested and um, they're, they're heartbroken. DCPS school officials are conducting a formal review of classroom libraries. President of Duval Teachers United, Terry Brady, says books not approved will have to be covered and locked away or removed from the classroom altogether. Brady says teachers found in violation could face a third-degree felony charge for the distribution of harmful materials to minors. In Florida, that could carry an up to $5,000 fine or up to five years in prison. We're telling our employees, when in doubt, remove the book. When in doubt, remove the book. We're not talking about a slap on the hand. We're not talking about you know, being pulled out of your class. We're talking a third degree felon. Educators and parents tell me their biggest concern is the impact this could have on students. As a parent, this is terrifying. Children need access to diverse books and classrooms to foster a love of learning and reading. Brady calls the potential of a felony charge an absurd punishment and is warning teachers to be careful. It is so easy to make one mistake. And if anybody, anybody wants to review that classroom library and they see a book that's offensive, that teacher could receive a third-degree felon for having books in their classroom. 
The district says they are working with teachers and certified media specialists to review books and update the list as books are reviewed and approved. Reporting at Tia Collins, First Coast News, on your side. Florida is a fucking conservative Republican hellscape. It's scary. Some of the books, by the way, like they want to talk about, oh, they're talking, there's like graphic homosexual sex in these books and it's indoctrination. Some of these books are are like the story of like a, a black woman Olympic athlete who against all odds was a champion. Mm-hmm. That is woke to them. That is, uh, like against the, the odds of her generation and when it was and it's the, the, the mistreatment they can't teach that because that would sh- that would show the facts that white people were fuckers to her. Mm-hmm. And, oh, you can't do that. You can't say that. Yeah. Like, we're ignoring the history of our country by not teaching the true story of what blacks in this country have had to endure, have been forced to, to endure for... For hundreds of years. Well, and Jesse Waters of Fox News, we don't have a clip on this, but he was talking about this issue and made it very clear about what what this is all about. He said that, you know, this AP African-American history course was fine. You know, it had a lot of good information until, he said, you get until about 1960. And then it's all activism. And it's all indoctrination. You mean they, up until when black people started demanding fucking equality? Right. Then, oh, we can't teach that. Yeah. (laughs) So we know what this is about. And we know that they're, they're trying to censor books that have legitimate educational value that could be immensely beneficial for young minds, young developing minds. But it's a threat to their continued hold on power. Because if... If kids are allowed to learn, if they're allowed to learn about the world, yeah. they're not going to see the world the way that Ron DeSantis sees the world. And they're not going to vote for people like Ron DeSantis to construct the world that he has in Florida. It's it's horrifying. And there's a movement afoot right now all across the conservative media, media sphere of, of um, Michael Knowles, for instance, did, did a video talking about how Look, book burning is well within the Western tradition. Book banning, excuse me, banning books. They burn books in the Old Testament. Of course it's okay. Oh. Uh, Ben Shapiro, I saw a clip of him yesterday, also talking about how it's completely acceptable and understandable to ban books. It, It is just... It's fascism 101. Yeah. It, this is n- literal Nazi shit we're talking about here. Right. Yeah. Fucking crazy. Well, and again, Fox News worried about the important stuff because apparently Xbox has this new feature that it will like, I guess, auto shut off. Yeah. Let me, let me read from from the statement from, um, from, from Xbox because I'm going to read this and I want you to think. How is this bad or offensive or... (laughs) Concerning at all. Or woke. Yeah. This is from a Fox News article. So they're writing the actual statement from the company and then coming away with the take you're getting ready to learn. Starting today, Xbox insiders will notice that their Xbox Series XS consoles automatically update to the shutdown energy-saving power option, Xbox Wire wrote. This one-time update to your power settings will reduce your power consumption while your console is off and will not affect performance, gameplay, or your console's ability to receive overnight updates to the system, games, or apps. 
and they're losing their motherfucking minds over at Fox News. That's all I'm so saying. Xbox has also announced they're going woke too, and mm. you know because of climate change, mm-hmm. that they're adding a new feature to their default settings. So if you own an Xbox, yeah. you can upload this new program, and it will turn off after so long to save the environment, the power. Uh-huh. And also, they're saying the energy saving shutdown feature is going to have a slower boot time. Ted uh-huh. Cruz writes on Twitter: First gas stoves, then your coffee. Now you're gunning for my Xbox. <laughs> Isn't it crazy, though? Like, when we were kids, you were a rebel if you had, like, a leather jacket and a pack of cigarettes. Now you have, like, a full-powered Xbox, and you're eating pizza rolls on a gas stove. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy what they're doing, but we understand what this is. It's not that it's actually going to offset emissions, okay? The level of reduction is infinitesimal, but they're trying to recruit your kids into climate politics at an earlier age. Make them climate conscious now. Yeah, I didn't but, think of that. You're right. They're going the, after the children. Of course they are. But again, what's the point of video games? It's for kids to be kids. Now you sit down, pick up a controller, and they're like, by the way, the world's on fire. Ah! You know what I mean? You just want to play the game. Did you hear Ainsley Earhart there? What about the majority? I'm so tired of protecting the minority. She says, they're coming after the kids. (laughs) They're coming after the the children. Oh. Because of a power setting on a fucking video game console. And by the way, she said they're... That it slows boot time to this particular setting. I've read s- some different people that said, yeah, this, it slows it from like, rather than booting up in 15 seconds, it takes 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, it's hard to take these people seriously when these are the things that concern them this much. I mean, it's. Well, it just, it's so nakedly apparent that this is just titillation this is just for the controversy just for the clicks their entire business model is fear mm-hmm. fucking get people afraid woke is everywhere woke it's a fucking power setting you dumb fucks yeah it's all a distraction of of course a distraction from things that they are actually planning to do that are harmful and remember when they said listen don't worry this is all we're concerned about states rights when it comes to abortion and we just want to make sure that states have the ability to control their abortion laws that's what's really important yeah, it's just here. a constitutional issue just a the not just the separation of power but the the separation between who has the power in our in our system whether it be the federal government or the states they want states to be able to make their own decisions about what abortion policy is well not anymore according to republican mean, not anymore after the midterms <laughs> now that they're elected yeah the fucking jig is up. According to Republican Jim Banks, who went on the Pat Miller show, he has a problem with women crossing state lines to obtain abortions. Our work as a pro-life movement is far from over. If, if a young lady can hop in a car in Fort Wayne and in an hour and a half, she can be in a place in Michigan or in just under three hours, she could cross the line into Illinois and achieve what she was able to do with abortion clinics here in Indiana, the fight is far from over. That, that's exactly right. And I, I'm for uh, federal legislation. I'm for stronger laws at the state levels, whatever we, whatever we can do to save lives, to protect babies. That, that's what this fight, fight is all about. Remember when Lindsey Graham, before the midterms, came out with his, his legislation and no one was there to support And then, everybody was like, what in the fuck are you doing, <laughs> yeah. bro? You can't. No, you can't. Charlie Kirk had Jack Posobiec on. And they were like, 
this guy's a fucking idiot. He's going to tank the midterms for us. And it was all because quit telling the truth, Lindsay. Right. Quit quit giving them a glimpse behind the curtain and letting everybody know exactly what our plan is. Right. We haven't been elected yet to give us some time. And now this is clear. And this was always going to be the case. This was always going to be the case. It isn't enough for them. And it won't be enough. And it's not just abortion. It is contraception. It is abortion pills. It is gay marriage. I could see a, a, a path to uh, interracial marriage. I mean, a, a lot of ticks have to, to, to happen for that to, to take place. But the language of the ruling that overruled Ro, Roe v. Wade left all that on the table. Mm-hmm. And uh, things are going to get a lot worse before they get better because... We're not able to, the way our system is, we have to overwhelm Republicans at the polls in order to make headway. Mm-hmm. And enough, too many people are asleep on this on this particular issue. Yeah. I mean, I did a video about this very thing the other day. No one gave a fuck. Yeah. I got like 20,000 views or something. Oh, oh. Well, I've been seeing videos from David Pakman, other left-wing creators talking about the problem of of YouTube uh, doing something that is decreasing the views overall. But I understand you're also making this a separate issue because it's been an issue on an ongoing basis for years where you will do videos about certain topics and they don't get watched as much as, yeah. you know, someone decimates Trump or, you, yeah. you know. Climate change, health care, things I really want to talk about a lot. Right. Just don't get the eyeballs. I mean, I did a video the other day about Donald Trump on True Social and like 150,000 views. Right. But this, which is so important, mm-hmm. eh, it's not as sexy. It's not as clickable. And people need to wake up and start getting involved and getting active about this particular issue, especially because they're not going to stop with abortion. If you're a dude out there and you're like, ah, this doesn't affect me. I'm not going to get somebody pregnant. You need to fucking wake up and take up for people who aren't in your situation and don't have the privilege you have. Absolutely. We'd love to know what you think. 657 464 7609. You can also email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. It's the asshole of today. Religious right uh, attorney Matt Staver is the asshole of today. And that is because he made an appearance where he he made it very clear. Actually, a lot of the ideas we've been talking about where if you expose people to certain ideas, if you give them information, that it could potentially be dangerous for the Republican Party in this country, for the right wing in this country, because people will not want to be a part of that party or share in those beliefs and ideas. And Matt Staver makes this clear when talking about the the danger of allowing children to associate with uh, same-sex couples and children that are in same-sex households because they could have positive experiences with these people that would then hurt their faith. If I were running the school, I would not allow that um, student to come into the school that is from a same-sex household. Personally, that's what I would do. And I would not allow a student to stay there. Um and I, and I know other people may have other views on that because on the one hand, you want to be able to have 
your ministry as something that's transformative. But look, my view is that whether it's K, certainly K through eight, you know, these kids are not, you, you and I might be able to engage in this cultural war and battle and be biblically grounded, but these kids are not prepared for that. And it is a real disservice to put these kids in the situation, particularly in a Christian school that ought to be a safe environment for them, where they can become very confused and what they experience at that level can be life-changing for the rest of their lives. Um, That's like putting kids in a viper pit. They're not ready for that. Christians not being grounded in doctrine, no matter how the winds blow, but being changed by personal experiences is a problem. In fact, that is the reason why this Respect for Marriage Act passed in the United States Senate. All of those people that voted for it, they were on record that they were in favor of marriage as a union of a man and woman. All of them. Why did they change? Uh, We know from some of their staffers, well, they changed because either someone in their family or people that they know, they found out are homosexual or in same-sex relationships. So they couldn't bring themselves to vote for the right thing, that they knew what they're supposed to do. But they didn't do it because of personal experiences. And so be very cautious in protecting those children and do what you need to do to protect them. It's interesting how he's framing this as almost like a ministry thing, too. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's more important, though. You can't, oh, we can't. You know, the old the old um, Sunday school song. It's very in line with what he's saying. It's, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Except in front of the gays. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Except in front of the gays. <laughs> It's it's antithetical to how even his particular faith tradition and what Jesus taught is to go on into all the world and preach the gospel, except for the gays. I mean, that, that's it's not part of his faith tradition, but because politics has just, it's a brain rot for him, Republican politics, he's ready to just jettison thousands of years of biblical principles and teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, this this makes it so clear, even with the Florida stuff we've been talking about, that this is what they are afraid of. Yes. Is if you give people information, you expose them to how the world actually is, that gay people are not scary and they're good human beings that should be protected by the laws in this country. If you expose kids to that yeah, <laughs> and they have that understanding that, oh my God, they're going to maybe lose their faith or they're going to maybe not vote Republican. Yeah, this is just uh, more in your face. It's the same thing as I just just don't throw. I don't care if you're gay. Just don't throw it in my face. Yeah. Don't hold hands on the metro. Don't. It's the same exact thing, except he's just taking the mask off. Right. It's no, we don't want anyone, especially children to think it's acceptable or even that they exist yeah. because then their natural empathy center might engage <laughs> right? and they won't be on board with um, objective or uh, uh, oppressing yeah. uh, the gays in America. Yeah. God damn. Yeah. Making it crystal clear. Matt Staver, everybody. Mm-hmm. Good. Moral, a Christian 
man. Mm-hmm. We'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Email, I doubt it, at dollamore.com. We'd love to invite you to become a Patreon member, helping support the show via that giving platform. You can go to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. You can also buy some merch. We got some new podcast t-shirts. We've also got some great new merch surrounding the politics of the day. Go to dollamore.info. You'd think I'd know how to pronounce my own last name. Apparently not. Dalamore. Dalamore dot info. It's dot info. Jesus, I can't even get that right. Anyway, well, it's, it's been a, it's been a rough rough time. It's been it's been a rough. <laughs> it's been a rough indeed. Anyway, we'll see you next time. We love you guys. We appreciate you very much. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dalamore, and this has been I doubt. It. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.